Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at wweek.com. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode of the Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Tank Sanders. Thank you for joining us today for episode 39 of the Dive Podcast on September 25th. We have a great show for you today. We begin our show with the 90-second news flash, and then we go on to our interview of the week with Marley Blonsky, and we end our show a little differently than usual. I am going to talk to you a little bit about my views on an issue, and so you're going to want to stick around for that because it's a little bit out of the ordinary of how we end most of our shows. But before we get there, before we get to all the good things that we're talking about this week, we have all the headlines, everything that happened this week. This is the 90 Second News Flash. Let's run it. An employee at Newburgh Elementary School showed up to work last week wearing blackface, calling herself Rosa Parks as she was protesting the vaccination mandate that was in place at the school. Now, Newburgh has had some big problems with racism. Even in this month alone, this isn't the first incident of of blatant and horrible racism. Earlier this month, students at Newburgh High were discovered to have a Snapchat group called the Slave Trade, quote-unquote, where they would post pictures of black classmates along with jokes about auctioning them off. So some serious problems in that school district and just that area uh, alone this month. So that was brought to Willamette Week's attention. There's some good reporting on that, so make sure to go read that. Folks, I finally have some good news for you guys. Uh, This month-long strike by the Bakers Union at the Nabisco factory came to an end when fellow Bakers Union members across the country voted in overwhelming support for adopting the proposed contract that their parent company, Mondelez, drafted in the bargaining. Now, this is great for three reasons. The bakers get what they want, we get more cookies, and you get to stop hearing me butcher the details of this story because there's a lot of nuances, a lot of intricacies. Willamette Week, I gotta say, has been at the front of covering this topic. So if if cookies and strikes and legal action between workers and their employers is interesting to you, then go ahead, read those stories, but glad it's finally resolved so we don't have to do another one of these additions, another one of these Nabisco rollouts. Okay, buckle up for the story because it's a complicated one. So complicated that I had to actually personally call reporter Rachel Monahan to have her explain to me what's going on at the Capitol with redistricting. So basically, here's what's going on. So every 10 years, the census comes out and Oregon legislature is told that they have to redistrict the state's districts so that each district now has similar population sizes as the rest of the districts based on the new data that the census has released to them. So House Speaker Tina Kotek is in charge of this process because she's the Speaker of the House. And basically, a little while back, she cut a deal with Republicans. Republicans were leaving sessions and uh, basically 
protesting the session at the time. And basically the deal was that Tina Kotek promised that if they came back to session, that in exchange for coming back to session, they would get equal say on the district selection committee board. Basically the board that selects which maps will go out as the new districts. So a very important board and Tina Kotek promised that there would be equal Republicans and equal Democrats, a bipartisan board, if you will. Well, House Speaker Tina Kotek just announced that she's reneged on that. So she has canceled that deal. She has not upheld her side of the bargain. And she has now put forth a new committee to decide the districts. And this committee has two Democrats and one Republican. So it's not equal split like she had originally made a deal with Republicans to, to, to do. So renege that deal. Republicans are really upset. So why does this matter? Well, Republicans are threatening now to possibly walk out of session and session early. So use whatever power they have, although they're in the minority, but they have some power to be able to push what they think is unjust, which is the fact that Tina Kotek went back on her deal. People are saying that Tina Kotek went back on the deal because Democrats didn't like the deal, right? Democrats didn't want to give up that power on that selection committee. And as she gears up for her run for governor, which she has confirmed that she is doing, that she wanted and actually needed the Democrats to be more in her camp than they were. And this was a way to get those Democrats in the camp. So by by canceling that deal. So, and here's the thing is, I, you know, I, my eyes kind of glaze over when I read these kinds of stories because I don't really understand them and it's really intense. But Rachel Monahan really talked to me about how important these issues are because redistricting really is important. It determines how many people in Congress are Democrats or Republicans based on where Oregon votes and so and where these district lines are drawn. So the district lines are drawn in a very partisan way now due to Tina Kotek going back on her deal. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Republicans cannot be happy about that. So guys, basically, this has been the 90-second news flash, but I want to leave you with a little bit more, a little bit of fun in, in the light of those uh, uh, deeper stories that, that, that we just talked about. So last but not least, let's end with some food options for the weekend. Do you like chicken sandwiches but wish they were a little slimier and a little fishier? Well, we have the best fish sandwiches, fried fish sandwiches that you can get in Portland. Look no further than... Tulip Shop Tavern, that's the first one. Yonder PDX, that's the second. And Holler is the last one that's on Southeast Milwaukee. According to our staff, these places have the best fish sandwiches money can buy in our city. So go crazy, eat those sandwiches, eat up, eat your heart out, keep reading the news, keep staying in touch. We'll catch you next week for another 90 second news flash. But till then, this has been the 90 second news flash. Thank you for listening on to our main story. We turn now to our interview with Marley Blonsky. Marley and her friend Kaylee Kornhauser are working to get more fat people on bikes. Their verbiage, not mine. They are the leaders of the fat bikers movement in Portland, and we sat down with Marley to talk about her work and including her work on a video with Shimano, the famous and popular bike making company, about getting more people who are plus sized, overweight, on bikes and how important that is for the cycling community. They're underrepresented. So we talked about those issues. We talked about the video and the campaign all in an interview with her. Thank you so much for listening. Also read our cover story about both of them. But this is our interview with them and we'll get back to some other stuff at the end of the show. But hope you enjoy this interview. Let's run the tape. So Marley, tell us a little about yourself. Who are you? 
Sure. Uh, great to talk with you today. Uh, my name is Marley Blonsky. I'm um, a fat cyclist. I live in Seattle and I'm all about getting more butts onto bikes. So regardless of how old you are or your experience level on bikes, um, I really think that they're a great tool for fun and movement and accessibility. And so that's what I'm all about. Yeah. And my first question has to do with your recent ad campaign or video campaign that you did with Shimano, who is a very well-known uh, bike manufacturer. Um, and I wanted to know how did that video come about? Sure. Yeah. That's kind of been the number one question that we get asked. Um, so I have been doing this kind of advocacy work of just trying to get the bike world to realize that fat people ride bikes and we need clothes. We need strong bikes. We need all the things that everybody else needs to ride bikes for years and um, met my friend Kaylee, who also stars in the video with me. And we started doing this work together. And she had a good friend, Zeppelin, who was the director. They went to college together. And he said, guys, I want to tell your story. And he actually slid into Shimano's Instagram DMs and said, I've got a story for you guys. Um, help me do this. And that's how it happened. What got you into uh, riding bikes? <laughs> well, I grew up doing it as a kid and I absolutely loved it. Um, grew up in Texas in the suburbs and that's just what we did for fun. And then like a lot of folks um, kind of lost it in middle and high school as I became a teenager. And then I got divorced when I was like 25, which, um, you know, my advice to everyone is don't get married. It's silly, but that's beside the point. Uh, and so coming out of that kind of breakup, I didn't know who I was and had no sense of myself. And I saw these cool people, I guess, hipsters, whatever, in Seattle riding bikes. And I was like, I want to be one of them. Um, and so that was kind of what it was. And then realized that, oh, I love this. There's freedom and I can make a life out of this. Are you more of a sports biker and ride competitively or do you more take it more leisurely and see it as more of a fun activity? It's funny for years, I've been leisure, you know, riding to and from work and going bike camping and just like leading social rides. And in the last six months, I've done like three races. I had never raced before this year. And now that the bike industry is like making clothes that fit me and like Lycra, I'm like, oh, I can go fast. This is fun. So I just did my first cyclocross race last weekend and I was by far the slowest. It was so hard, but, um, I'm kind of dabbling in that side of things. Um, I have no expectations of ever winning anything. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Because in your Shimano ad, you and and your other partner who runs this program with you, you guys both talked about, you know, you guys don't try to go fast. You just yeah. more take it, take, take your own pace. How has the response to your work and your message been? Overwhelmingly positive. Really? Um, yes. From the entire bike industry, which I think was the most surprising because you know, when you put yourself out there and you're that vulnerable saying, I don't feel included in this world. Um, I didn't expect so many people from all walks of the bike world, from professional athletes to, you know, other folks that have been recreational cyclists to say, Hey, me too. Um, and whether that's struggling with body image issues or, um, just inclusion in general, everyone has been overwhelmingly supportive and saying, yes, we do need to do a better job of this. Let's work together. So that's been probably the, the most heartening part of this. Yeah. Where do you want this mission to go? Like what, what would be the desired outcome of what you're working on? 
I would love anyone who wants to ride a bike to be able to walk into a big bike shop or a small bike shop and be able to get on a bike. Um, you know, right now, if you weigh over 250, 275 pounds, there's not many bikes out there that are safe for you to ride. So I would love for like the big bike brands to start making those and to start making clothing in extended sizes. Um, and for that just to be part of the norm. And I would love for folks to see that and feel included as part of the community and not think that, oh no, biking is just for skinny men in Lycra. It's like, no, this is a viable mode of transportation and a cool way to get around town. On those days when I'm really alone, realize the voice I miss is my own. When did I forget how to hold my own head? Still can't Folks, I want to end the show by talking to you. I want to talk to you about an issue that I've been thinking about for a long time, and I don't usually do this. If you've listened to the show for many episodes or more than one episode, I want you to know that uh, I don't usually do this. I've done this only once or twice before where I give my my viewpoint and my opinion on something. I usually like to just ask questions and have the real people whose opinions really matter answering the questions and giving their viewpoints. But this is something where I have a unique knowledge base on based on my experiences. So I just want to talk to you about this and then we can get out of the episode. So let me take you back to April 26th. That's where this kind of starts. And I'm in my freshman year in high school and I have a blog where I interview people in the community and I write them as profiles on my blog. It's still up there. It hasn't been posted on for a few years. It's called Hank Hank News. You can verify this. And so in April of 2016, I emailed the then Oregon treasurer, Ted Wheeler's office. He was running for mayor and I wanted to interview him to get him onto my blog. So within a few hours, literally a few hours, I went back and I checked and I verified it. Within a few hours, Wheeler's staffer, Annie Ellison at the time, responded to me and within a few days of my initial email, I had sent him some questions and he had responded to my questions via email. Now, I know we don't usually do the questions via email, but there were some time constraints. So anyways, he responded via email to my list of questions that I had sent him. Now let's jump to October of 2020. I'm an intern with Willamette Week, and part of my job is to set up the endorsement meetings that we have, where we go out and we have discussions and debates with the people who are running for an office, and we endorse people in one of our cover stories. So oftentimes, these people would take a long time to respond, take a really long time to respond. They would not respond after the first couple emails, whatever it might be. I digress. Basically, my bottom line is that Wheeler's office always responded super quickly and carefully and wanted to get into our endorsement meeting very eagerly. And the people at the head of that were his communications directors. They were Timothy Becker, Aja Blair, and James Middaw, and all responded very quickly and eagerly. Now let's jump to January of 2020. We are starting this podcast and we are looking for guests. So I go back to Tim, James, and Ajaw and get Mayor Wheeler on the show. And within days, we have him scheduled and have a Zoom interview with him all set up. Faster than I've ever done with really any other guests. 
Also, I want to make it clear that the mayor's office never screened any of our questions. We asked what we wanted to ask, right? So we would come up with a list of questions and Mayor Wheeler would take his shot at answering them and agree or disagree with how he answered them. You can not disagree with the fact that he was transparent and answered all of my questions about homelessness, about George Floyd protests, about whatever it might be. They were unscreened, we came up with them, and they answered. Mayor Wheeler answered. So we actually had him on again. It was a successful interview, and we had him on again. And after that interview, Tim, Jim, and I all agreed that we should have the mayor on every 10 episodes. That was our agreement. And the agreement was basically based on the fact that you guys want to hear from him, right? So our streams indicated that you cared a lot about what Mayor Wheeler thought about the issues that we were asking him about. Well, now let's flash forward to the beginning of this summer. Tim and Jim are both gone. They leave, they go take separate jobs within a few weeks of each other, they're both gone. And the mayor's office has since been trying to replace these two people, and they've been having a really hard time with it. You can go read the stories online about who they hired and then fired and left, and then, so it's been a lot of turnover right now trying to figure out who to replace the Tim and Jim that once were there to serve as the communications officers. And here's the thing, before Tim and Jim left, we began seeing the relationship between the mayor's office and members of the media sour, and we got to see instances like this. Three more questions. I, mean, I, I did ask though, here. can I, oh. I did ask when would they intervene? I mean, just kind of, a, if, if it's an all hands on deck situation, what is the mission then that you just said? If people are- Come on! Fighting, Okay, going on. Joe English, K2. Joe, you have a question? We got one more question. It'll go to okay. Zane Sparling with the tribute. Okay. Zane, final Sam, question. Sam, can, 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 can the mayor answer the question that was not answered a few minutes ago before you yelled at us? That wasn't me. I'm talking to Sam. Can, oh. can, we, can we allow for the questions to be answered instead of getting yelled at? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to answer the question. What what was the question? I didn't I didn't hear the question. What I think was it was I think it was I think it was Liz that got yelled at by Sam before. Uh... I was talking to somebody else, Jonathan. Uh, so Liz, it was I'm my sorry, question too, your, by the way. I'm sorry, Liz. I didn't hear your question. Could I hear the question? We'll get to Zane after that. I think it was Maggie Vespa's question, and I think she was asking when the police would intervene between the groups, right, Maggie? Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and, you know, Mr. Adams, you are, you know, in your role with livability, you're welcome to answer these questions too. I was just asking, what is the mission that the chief laid out? When would police intervene? That was part of my original question that wasn't answered. But again, Mr. Oh, Adams, please okay. feel free to speak to it. In that clip, you can hear former Portland mayor and current Mayor Wheeler staffer, Sam Adams, shouting at a reporter for asking a very reasonable question. And by the way, no, I don't buy his excuse that he was talking to somebody else. So why are we talking about this? Well, it leads to this. With Tim and Jim gone, I have not been able to get so much as a response from anyone in the mayor's office. I've gone through their website, I've emailed Aja, I've emailed Sarah Morrissey, and emailed Sarah many times, and I've not gotten a single response. I emailed Sam Adams to try to interview him, and he said, interview my boss. This is a question for my boss. And since then, the communication line has died. I've not been able to get a response or set up an interview or anything like that. This is a huge departure from what we were used to. Fast and open responses to my interview request and to my questions 
that weren't always comfortable, but they would respond quickly and eagerly. Why am I telling you this? Well, in my view, closing communication lines with the media is a very bad sign. One of the reasons I had a feeling that the four years or possibly eight years with Trump would be challenging was because in my view, I saw from day one, there was a high level of animosity between the president and the media, between calling out reporters, not allowing certain people in the White House press rooms, not answering questions, shortening White House briefing windows. The administration took an adversarial approach to the media from day one. And sure enough, not only were there years in, you know, there were there four years fraught with scandal and drama, but we're actually learning now about more revelations in books from Woodward and others that there was so much more going on behind the scenes than we ever knew and scary things and dangerous things. So this is my view. I believe that I got a front row seat to a change in the relationship between the mayor's office and the media that's taken place over the last several months. When I came in, the communication line was wide open. A kid like me could get the mayor on the show and ask unscreened questions and get honest, thoughtful answers from the mayor. This is one of the reasons why I've defended him on certain things. Look, I had him on my show and he talked to me. He walked me through what he was doing for homelessness and how his plans have changed and improved now that the ballot measure has passed to give a lot more money to this issue. He's talked about the things that he regrets when he was handling the George Floyd riots, but also has defended his positions based on the fact that, you know, there had to be some type of order to keep this protest in check. So when you hear those answers, it makes me think that, okay, would I have done anything better? Would, you know, in my position, would I have done anything better? And I think that's one of the reasons why the recall effort failed. I think that people started or is going to fail. I think that people listen to the mayor's answers on shows like mine and, and realize that would anybody else be better at this role? Maybe, but in a resounding way, it wasn't clear. So why are the lines of communication closed? Well, this is my hypothesis. My theory is that the mayor's office knows that this is the witching hour for Portland. While he will most likely survive the recall efforts, the city of Portland is in a really tough spot. Read the Willamette Week, walk downtown, listen to our show. Portland is not growing the way our neighboring cities are. Homelessness, policing, rent prices are making our city unappetizing for businesses and threatening the city's future. And Wheeler's office used to be able to fall back on the fact that, well, their hands are kind of tied because... Portlanders have to vote on where the budget goes if you're dealing with big issues like homelessness. But now that Portlanders have voted to put a lot of money into issues like this, now is when we rely on the mayor's office to provide a clear and cogent hypothesis on how to fix these issues. And I fear that the mayor's office doesn't have that. And because they don't have a clear and cogent plan to help the city, they've decided to shut off. That's my opinion, and I have made this opinion by looking at it firsthand and seeing how the lines of communication between the media and the mayor's office has gotten more hostile and hostile with each month and eventually now is pretty much closed where it used to be wide open. So that's my explanation for why that's the case. I really appreciate you for understanding and going on this journey with me to try to talk about this issue. If you have another view on what's going on, then please uh, let me know. Maybe this is just, maybe my emails are just going to spam and I'm blowing this all out of proportion, but it's hard to when you read other people corroborating 
growing hostility with the media. So thank you again. This has been the 39th episode of the Dive Podcast. For Willamma Week, I'm Hank Sanders. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. It includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamibon, as well as the entire Willamette Week family. Last but not least, thank you so much to Heather Witty and Amp Music co for the music that you hear on this podcast for Willamette Week I'm Hank Sanders this has been the Dive Podcast